so we continue with the series on eternal judgment um, and uh, it is the six out of the six foundational doctrines taught to us in the book of Hebrews which is in chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and those six foundational doctrines are repentance from dead works faith toward God the doctrine of baptisms laying of hands resurrection of, it, of uh, the dead and eternal judgment and we're dealing with the, the last out of the six foundational doctrines which is the doctrine of eternal judgment and we've been dealing with uh, a number of um, topics relating to that particular doctrine up until now and the section we're dealing with at this point in time is the section that I've entitled the fact that is that unforgiven sin will be judged on that day and we, we have seen in the previous teachings on this uh, uh, section that judgment will be without partiality, that God is not uh, partial. Uh, time and again in scripture he does refer to the fact that uh, um, there will be no partiality shown on judgment day. And uh, so we can fully expect to be fully held accountable for every aspect of our lives. Then we mentioned that there was one aspect of our lives that we will not be held accountable and obviously I'm dealing with the period of our lives from the time that we're born again until the time that we leave this planet to be with the Lord. Um, but there are certain aspects of our lives that will not be judged on that day. And those aspects are confessing that we have confessed before the Lord and we receive forgiveness for. Um, and that is in 1 John 1 9, the Bible says that um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we saw that um, all confession that we uh, deal with in this life uh, is wiped out of heaven's records. God chooses to remember those sins no more. They're under the blood of the Lamb. And so those sins will not be brought to account on that day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So we said it's very important for us as believers to keep a short account um, in this life and to make sure that at any time when we commit any known sin, that we are to repent of that sin as quickly as possible, ask the Lord for his forgiveness, and then obviously repent of that sin and then continue in life because that sin then is uh, done away with and we will not be held to account on that day. Um, but we saw that in the, there is uh, a consequence to be incurred for sin that is not forgiven in this age. In other words, we haven't confessed our sins to the Lord, we haven't asked His forgiveness, and we have not repented of those sins. Those sins remain, they're on heaven's records, and we will have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for those sins on that day. Obviously, we will give an account of our Lord for every aspect of our lives. But we're dealing specifically with the fact that unforgiven sin will be judged. It doesn't get swept under the carpet. There is no magic formula that makes those uh, sins go away because we are now children of God and we're standing before the Lord Jesus. Our salvation remains assured. We are not going to be judged for salvation on that day. We will be judged for the works that we've done in this life, both good and bad. The Apostle Paul teaches us in the book of uh, Corinth. Corinthians. And so <clears throat> we'll be judged for everything, and that includes unconfessed sin. Now, we said although we'll be judged for that sin, um, there will be a consequence, but the Lord will forgive us that sin on that day, for He will show mercy to us, and He has to 
be merciful to, to us. We have to have those sins forgiven, for we cannot uh, proceed into the kingdom of God with, un uh, with unforgiven sin. And so our Lord will forgive us our sin on that day. Um, but nevertheless, there will be a price to pay. And the price is, in fact, eternal. It affects our eternal inheritance, our eternal rewards that we can expect to receive from the Lord Jesus on that day, our day of judgment. And so we had a look at uh, a number of scriptures in the previous teaching. We, we, we saw that those who practice a lifestyle of sin in this life and do not receive forgiveness for their sin, they don't confess those sins, they don't uh, repent of those sins, they don't ask for forgiveness for those sins. Um, the, the penalty be, to be paid in the uh, age to come is our Lord has likened the, to calling, he said that those who break the least of his commandments and teach men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So they remain in the kingdom of heaven. Nevertheless, the title given to them by the Lord Jesus is that they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he went on to tell us about those who keep the, his commandments and teach others to do so. They shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so we saw that the consequence that we pay for a practiced lifestyle of sin, for we're not dealing with one or two sins um, that we commit here and there because we miss it and we, you know, we just uh, didn't get our act together on that particular day. We're talking about an individual, a believer, who is... Uh, continuously practicing a particular sin in their lives and these are the believers that will then be classified as least in the kingdom of heaven and we looked at a number of scriptures in the uh, epistles that dealt with this particular issue um, and uh, we saw that the, the first warning given by the Holy Spirit to the church was in his letter to the church at Corinth then he gave the almost an identical warning to the churches in Galatia. Then he gave an almost identical warning again, once again, to the church in Ephesus. And then finally, he gave another warning to the church in Colossae. And all four warnings that we had a look at are very similar in the wording that the Holy Spirit uses. And that he, he basically puts across a list of sins and he's talking about, and the warning is always addressed to the believer. Um, a lot of Christians have become confused with these passages of Scripture and have thought that the, the Holy Spirit and the Lord are talking about unbelievers in these passages of Scripture. But that's not the case at all. We saw that what in fact the Holy Spirit does reveal to us is that unbelievers who practice these sins uh, will incur the wrath of God. But he goes on to say, do not be deceived. Um, God shows no partiality. Translated means... If his children are committing these types of sins, it doesn't excuse them because they're his children. There is a penalty that they will incur as well. Um, they will not incur the wrath of God as the unbelievers will incur. But what we saw that their penalty is, is a loss of eternal inheritance. For time and again, the scripture says to us, that these individuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. They remain in the kingdom for they are his children. However, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so we saw that it's a, it's a very uh, serious aspect. And that's why the Holy Spirit in these passages of Scripture, we won't go through them again, um, says to us on more than one occasion that we're not to be deceived in this area. 
uh, because believers can become deceived because they, you know, the teaching is put out there into the body of Christ in a number of circles that um, no matter how badly you live, because you're a son of God, everything's fine. Um, but that's not the case. Everything is not fine. You might still be a son of God. However, you are forfeiting your eternal inheritance if you choose to practice a lifestyle of sin. And we won't go through all of the sins, but there was a sin of anger, blasphemy, filthy language, uh, that type of thing. That if a, a believer consistently practice that type of sinful lifestyle, they can expect to receive no inheritance from the Lord when they stand before Him on that day. And uh, it's not going to be a case of, Lord, I didn't know, because the Word of God is there, very plain for us to read and very plain for us to, to see, and um, it's not to be disputed. But uh, nevertheless, there's, we, we won't go into any more of those scriptures today. But we're going to close off this section today because uh, we dealt with it in depth up to now. But there's just uh, two or three more passages of Scripture that I'd like us to have a look at, which deals with this topic again and just once again reinforces to Christians just how serious we do need to be taking our day of judgment and the lifestyle that we be, should be leading on this earth, in this life, um, and how that lifestyle can impact on our day of judgment, obviously to the good, but also to the bad. And so, this, you know, we, we, we saw the scripture earlier on in the book of Revelation when the scripture says that God will wipe, himself will wipe away every tear. And uh, the reason we said that uh, uh, believers would be tearful on their day of judgment is that because they will be remorseful, because they will see that their chosen lifestyles that they've chosen to walk as believers in this life has robbed them of their eternal inheritance. And uh, there will be no recourse in that instance. But God himself will wipe away every one of those tears. God will be merciful. They will still be his children. However, uh, they would have incurred the penalty of losing their eternal inheritance. And so there's a couple more scriptures I want us to have a look at. They are uh, controversial scriptures. But nevertheless, they are scriptures that deal with this particular topic. And this whole topic is actually quite controversial. A lot of believers uh, don't believe that this uh, could possibly be true, but it's in the Bible. And so we teach it because you know we teach the full counsel of God. And we don't only teach uh, the good stuff. You know, When the Holy Spirit warns us about things, then we take it seriously. And whatever He warns us to avoid, that's what we avoid. So the first scripture we want to have a look at is in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. The scripture says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So the background to that particular account, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that um, Esau 
uh, had been out hunting and he'd come back into the camp and he was hungry and Jacob had made a, bo a bowl of stew, I think it was, and uh, Esau had asked him, you know, can I have some of your stew? And Jacob being the, the uh, deceiving is not the right word, but the, the shrewd uh, brother that he was said, all right, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but you're going to have to pay for it. And the price you must pay is you must sell me your birthright. And Esau does that. It is absolutely astounding uh, what Esau does. Um, he's not, I mean, Esau's not dying. He, you know, he, he's just a bit hungry, that's all. Uh, and, you know, he could have easily said to Jacob, no, are you crazy? I'm not going to sell my birthright for a bowl of stew. And they got up and gone across the camp to somebody else's tent and said, you know, give me something to eat. And they would have given him something to eat. Um, but it is absolutely astounding what Esau does. Esau sells Jacob his birthright for a bowl of stew. Um, I, I still struggle to get my mind around it. Um, but nevertheless, that's what he does. Um, he says, you know, I'm dying, so, you know, what, what good is my birthright to me if I, you know, if I don't get any food? Um, you know, that, that's obviously not, wasn't the case. He wasn't dying. But he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Um, and you, you must understand what Esau's um, thought process could have been at that time, because you know Esau was Isaac's favourite son. He knew that. Everybody in the family knew that. So Esau's thinking was, "Oh, it's all right. You know, I'm I'm my my father's favourite son. So you know, he's not going to really hold me to an account in this issue. Uh, you know, he'll restore my birthright to me, or it might be you know that I don't get the birthright, but I'll still have a, a fantastic inheritance anyway." But the Bible says that when he came to the end of the, uh, Isaac's time and he came to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Uh, let's have a look at the scripture again, verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so, you know, he, he woke up to the real shock of the fact that he had sold his birthright. He had given away his inheritance because of a bowl of stew. And he realized the impact that it actually now was going to have on him. Um, and it was quite a, a serious impact. But what the Holy Spirit is doing in this passage of Scripture is he's saying to us as believers that we are to look at Esau and uh, take note of what happened and not treat our inheritance with uh, the likeness that Esau treated his inheritance. Because when it came to the time to uh, receive uh, his inheritance, Esau couldn't uh, reverse that uh, process. It had been put in place. Um, he had made his decision um, years and years and years before, and it had uh, now impacted on his uh, eternal, in well, not his eternal inheritance, but on his, his inheritance. But the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing to us here. He's, he's putting Esau forward as an example to us. And he says, we need to, as believers, because this is a warning to believers again. This is not a warning to unbelievers. Um, and he's saying, let's go back to verse 14, verse 12. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Um, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And then he says, lest any root of bitterness or springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest any fornicator or profane first person like Esau. 
And so he's saying, guys, don't go down the road of, of uh, this kind of a lifestyle. For he says, uh, lest there be any fornicator. A, a person who is a fornicator is somebody who's practicing the sin of fornication. And he says, or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So he's comparing uh, the sin in this life to a morsel of food in comparative to our eternal inheritance. And so he's, he's warning us, he's saying, guys, don't for this chosen lifestyle of uh, practicing sin, forfeit your eternal inheritance. Um, because it, the comparative is like just having a morsel of food and then giving up your eternal inheritance for that one morsel of food, which is crazy. And as I say, when you look at what Esau did for a bowl of stew, he was prepared to give up his 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 inheritance, which was, uh, you know, how expensive was that bowl of stew? Anyway, so the Holy Spirit says, um, sin in this life can be equated to a, a morsel of bread, and don't give up your eternal inheritance um, in order to obtain a morsel of bread. And that is the, the admonition given to us um, in this passage of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. It's just another warning that the Holy Spirit puts out to His church, to the church of our Lord Jesus, that we're to take our inheritance seriously and we're not to treat it lightly. And we're not to treat it with disdain. Um, because those believers who mock um, a holy lifestyle, for again, He links that to holiness. For He says, uh, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Um, now, you can take that for what that could mean, because uh, we all t uh, will see the Lord, we'll all stand before Him on that day. But it could mean that that particular believer will not see God the Father, for we will see God the Father face to face, our Lord will reveal Him to us. Um, I don't want to go down that road. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, if you give up a life of holiness and you choose to practice sin, be it fornication, whichever uh, sin you choose to practice, it is uh, equal to a morsel of bread compared to your eternal inheritance. And that's the foolishness that the believer who chooses that lifestyle is taking. Um, and uh, the admonishment from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, is don't go down that road. Um, because we are not to take our eternal inheritance lightly. Another scripture we can have a look at, which is again another controversial scripture that our Lord uh, taught on in this particular instance. Um, the background to this passage of scripture is our Lord had taught on the parable of the unjust steward. And that unjust steward had been brought before his master, and his master had said, look, I'm, I'm hearing that you are not looking after my goods anymore. You can't be a steward anymore. Uh, you're going to have to you know, for, uh, forfeit your stewardship. And so what the unjust steward does is he goes out and he um, cancels bills for his master, and um, the master actually commends him because he had acted shrewdly in that manner. But that, uh, that's the, 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 the background to the parable. The point that I wanted to focus on in, for today's teaching is the rest of the teaching that our Lord uses because he uses the parable and then he brings that, uh, the, what was taught in the parable into reality because now he talks about eternity. And we're picking it up in Luke chapter 16 beginning at verse 9. And our Lord says, And I say to you, and he's talking to his church when he says this. He's not talking to unbelievers. He says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, 
that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is, also, is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And so our Lord has really given us some uh, controversial things to think through in this passage of Scripture. Um, the very first one that he says in verse 9, that he says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Um, the old King James Version um, or the King James Version actually says into everlasting dwellings, into eternal dwellings. Is, that's what that actual uh, translation means. They may receive you into eternal dwellings. And so very clearly our Lord is talking about stepping into eternity. And he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, st stewards of uh, ministers of the gospel, really, in this passage of Scripture is, is, is what he's uh, aiming it to. But it can be equated to any believer, really, because he he's saying um, he's, he's talking to Christians. And it's a very strange thing that he says. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, what does he mean when you fail? Well, it, it means that if you get to the point where your lifestyle is going to not um, allow you to have an eternal inheritance, this will be one of your salvation. Not your one of your salvation. This will be like a safety net for you. He said that when you fail, they, this is now the friends that you've made with unrighteous mammon, they may receive you into eternal dwellings and so they would have received their eternal dwellings from the Lord but this particular individual would not have an eternal dwelling uh, in which to dwell in and so they would then receive him into their eternal dwellings into their homes um, because he had made friends with them in the previous life with unrighteous mammon um, controversial. I didn't say it. This is the, the Lord taught this. And it's not something that we hear taught, you know. But I mean, this is what Jesus actually said. He said, guys, make friends for yourselves with money, with, you know, with, with, with being um, generous financially. And then he, 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 he brings it across. He said, because when you fail, and it's not, he's not saying everybody's going to fail, because obviously the rest the, 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 of the believers that this chap was generous to financially, they didn't fail for they had received their eternal dwellings. But he hadn't. He had failed. And the only way we can fail, as we've seen in the scriptures so far in the previous teachings, is by living a lifestyle of practice sin. And so this particular individual, and that's the parable of the unjust steward. He was unjust, and so he'd been, you know, not doing the right stuff. He'd been living a lifestyle of practice sin and so his stewardship was taken away from him and so our Lord says you know one of the safety mechanisms that you can put out there is that if you choose to practice a lifestyle of sin then what you need to do is you need to be quite generous in the meantime because you're going to need um, 
your generosity to open up doors for you when you're in heaven, that uh, those people will invite you into their eternal dwellings because you won't have an eternal dwelling of your own. And so our Lord does go on after that and he says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in what is much. And so he goes on, he says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And so what our Lord is equating is he's saying unrighteous mammon, money, is what is least. Okay? And uh, our eternal rewards is what is uh, much. And he says, if you've been uh, unfaithful in money, you know, you're, you're not going to be faithful in much. And so he's saying that if we're not faithful in just what is least, who's gonna, God's not going to give us our eternal reward if we're not faithful in the, the money aspect of our Christian walk here on the earth. And then he goes on to say, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So what does he mean there? Well, the other man he's talking about is himself. He is the other man. For what has happened is on this in this life, what happens is our Lord gives us a stewardship of his giftings that he's given to us, whatever those giftings might be. And it is up to us as believers to be faithful in the giftings he's given, given to us and minister those giftings to his body. And he, that includes finances, blessing the body of Christ and being faithful in that. And so when we're faithful in this life, in that which our, it belongs to our Lord, because we own nothing in this life. Everything given, is given to us by grace. And whatever is given to us is given to us by, by God, and in fact belongs to Him. But on that day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus, and we are judged by Him, what will happen is we will then receive our rewards, our eternal inheritance. That will be Ours. That will be given to us by God, and that will belong to us. But what we have in this life, we're just stewards thereof. It doesn't belong to us. I don't care how much money we have. It's not our money. It's, it belongs to God. And we are stewards thereof, and we are meant to be proven to be faithful in our stewardship of that which the Lord has given to us. And that also includes spiritual gifts that we've received, whatever it is that we've received from the Lord. Um, and we've received everything from the Lord. Uh, we need to be faithful. Now, that's what he's saying. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, because everything we have in this life is his, it's the other man's, it's not ours. He said, if you haven't been faithful in that in which is really belongs to me, who's going to give you your own? And he says, not going to happen. You're not going to receive your own. And so that's what had happened to the unjust steward. That's why our Lord said, guys, make friends for yourself with, with money down here so that when you fail, um, when you get to heaven, you're going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings because you know, people are going to say, yeah, you, you, know, you were generous to me on the earth. Come in, you can you know, spend the, the weekend in my place. Um, because it sounds kind of crazy, but there's no place for the, the person to live because they don't have their own. And they are therefore are, are required to uh, rely on the generosity of uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. Sounds very strange. But the loss of our internal inheritance has a, a, a I mean, it's really going to be a, a major impact. It's going to be a major shock to a lot of believers. Um, but not everyone, because again, we're talking about believers 
who have chosen to uh, a lifestyle of, of continuing to walk in sin even though they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because they you know, to them it, it's not a major issue all right so I, I lose my temper all the time um, you know the Lord understands he forgives me um, no it's going to have an impact or you know I, I I'm covetous about things, but the Lord understands. He forgives me. No, it's going to have an eternal impact. And so let's have a look at one more scripture that our Lord taught on Judgment Day. This is a parable that the Lord taught us, but it is exactly the Lord speaking about the judgment of His saints. And that is in Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 12. The scripture says, Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. It might be a mine. I don't know. Verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Verse 18, And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. Verse 26, For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 27, Bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And so this particular parable is... Uh, very, very illustrative of Judgment Day for the, the saints of the Lord. Because now, don't forget, the, the ones that get destroyed are the unbelievers, and they're the ones in this parable who said they don't want to have this man ruling over them. And so in verse 27, those are the enemies that are destroyed before the Lord. But uh, the servants are all children of God. And each one of them receive exactly the same measure. They all receive one mina. Not one receives more than the other. I know there is another parable where the Lord teaches where the one receives ten talents, the other one receives five, 
and the other, other one receives one. That is a different uh, parable that the Lord's teaching on, and, and it relates to a different topic which we won't discuss today. But this one relates to the judgment of the saints for that which they have received as his servants. Now, each one of us, are, we, we receive the same salvation. We receive the same measure of grace. We receive the same measure of faith. Um, and now some of us as believers take that salvation and take that gift given to us by the Lord. And we go out and we uh, live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who are believers uh, who have taken that gift of salvation and then have lived their lives for themselves and have not lived their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens is on the day of judgment, those who have uh, lived their lives for the Lord and have produced fruit um, are able to show the Lord, Lord, this is what I've done with what you've given me. Whereas the, the, the saint who has done nothing um, is able to show the Lord, Lord, this is what you gave me. It's still intact. I haven't lost it, but I didn't make anything with it. Now, what, what actually happens in that instance? Our Lord takes away what he has and gives it to the one who has the most. And so what happens, that individual saint has nothing. He has no inheritance anymore. He, the Lord takes his mina away and gives it to the guy who's got 10 minas. And everyone turns around and says, but Lord, the guy's already got 10 minas. And the Lord says... He who has, more will be given. He who has, doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And so that parable and that passage of Scripture is uh, very, it can be very closely tied in with the, the parable that our Lord taught on the so-and-so in the Word. If you remember in that particular parable, there were four categories of people. Um, and two of those categories were unbelievers, uh, the one didn't understand and just never got saved, and the other one fell away because of persecution and tribulation and stopped following after the Lord. Then there was the, the category of uh, saints that produced a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And so obviously their reward was given to them accordingly. But then there was the category of saint that produced no fruit. Um, because why? Because they had gotten caught up in the affairs of this life, in the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, and so had produced no fruit. And they are likened to this uh, saint who stands before the servant, that stands before the Lord with the mina that he was being given. and says, Lord, yeah, I've, I have what you've given me, but that, no, I have nothing added to it. And that's exactly what happened in the, in the parable of the sower. Those saints um, who were unfruitful in the kingdom of God, who had been caught up in, um, if you go look at the parable, they'd been caught up in, um, in, in the, 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 they couldn't produce because uh, thorns had grown up and choked uh, the seed. It couldn't produce um, because they had been caught up in um, the affairs of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things and they had become sidetracked. And so they hadn't produced any fruit. And so the principle remains exactly the same. Those saints, although they are still saints and they still remain in the kingdom of God, they have no eternal inheritance. There's a price to be paid. Um, even for, you know, not even uh, practicing a lifestyle of sin, because I mean, we've been dealing with that up to now, uh, you know, saints that practice a lifestyle of sin, will have no inheritance. 
but you, you, you would think that, well, you know, um, with, the, with regards to the parable of uh, the sower so in the word and the, the saints who are unfruitful, um, the Bible says that they are unfruitful, unfruitful because um, of dece the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things creeping in, um, and, and uh, you know, being distracted by the affairs of this life. And so they get so get caught up in this life that they produce nothing for the kingdom of God. And so when they stand before the Lord Jesus on that day, they are fruitless. They still stand before him because they're still his children. They are still in his kingdom, but they have no inheritance. And so it's not only a lifestyle of practicing sin that robs the saint of his eternal inheritance, but it's also a lifestyle of being caught up in the affairs of this life, being caught up um, after the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things. And you get Christians that, you know, they're just so into this life that... The things of the kingdom mean very little to them, if anything, and uh, are, you know, are pretty much unfruitful uh, for the kingdom of God. And so that's really the, the position of that saint who had the one mina. Um, the Bible doesn't talk about the fact that he went and practiced uh, any kind of sin. It just says he did nothing. He produced no fruit. And so our Lord on that day takes what he has away from him and gives it to him who has most. And so he ends up with nothing. He's in the kingdom, but he has nothing. Because don't forget, our Lord destroys his enemies, doesn't destroy this saint. Um, he calls him a wicked servant, but nevertheless, he remains in the kingdom of God. But he remains in the kingdom of God in a position of having no eternal inheritance. And so, again, these the scriptures are... You know, very <laughs> controversial. They're not a happy uh, bunch of scriptures to go through. But nevertheless, the warning is there, given to us as believers. And we really actually don't want to be in the camp of that once, of that saint that says to the Lord on that day, Lord, I didn't do anything with what you gave me. Here it is. Um, we don't want to hear our Lord saying, oh, you wicked servant. You knew that I, I, I wasn't, I, I reap where I hadn't sown. You should have taken what I've given you and at least given it into the bank so I could have earned interest on what I had given you. And I don't want to get into you know, what, that, well, or what that implies or doesn't imply. But the point remains that the one who could produce nothing for the Lord lost even what he had. So he was still in his kingdom, but he had no, no inheritance. And that has a huge impact on, on the believer going into eternity. Then there's one last scripture I want to look at before we close off on this particular section. Uh, again, the, the, the saints in the parable of the sower, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, entered in and choked the word and they were unfruitful. And so you get a lot of Christians that the cares of this life mean much more to them than the things of the kingdom of God. The uh, deceitfulness of riches, you know, I need to be making money, I need to be uh, you know, earning money so I can have a good house, a big house and whatever it is. Um, it means much more to them than things of the kingdom of God. And then lusts of other things, whatever it might be, uh, means much more to them than the things of the kingdom of God. And sadly, a lot of Christians, this life means far more to them than the eternal life. Uh, eternal life is, yeah, all right, you can, I don't really need to know anything about that. I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven. Um, I'm more interested in how much 
how I can live a good life down here. When I'm talking about a good life, I'm talking about a comfortable life where I don't have to worry about finances or anything like that. <clears throat> so the last scripture I want us to have a look at <clears throat> before we close off on this uh, section is in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Um, a very sobering passage of scripture again. All of these scriptures are very sobering passages of scriptures. But uh, yeah, I trust that as you hear this teaching, as you as you meditate on that, which uh, these scriptures actually do reveal to us, that uh, you will realize just how serious your eternal inheritance is and how serious we should take it. Um, because a lot of Christians uh, treat their eternal inheritance as just, you know, well, if I get something great, if I don't, who cares? And it is absolutely strange. It's like, as I say, Esau. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, don't go, don't become like that. Uh, for a bowl of beans, you prepare to give up your inheritance. And he says, for a morsel of food, you prepare to give up your eternal inheritance. Don't be like Esau. Um, you know, that's the admonishment of the Holy Spirit. So the passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, our Lord is uh, speaking to the last out of the seven churches. He has appeared to John, and he's told John, John needs to write a letter to each one of the seven churches in Asia, and the church of Laodicea is the last one that our Lord is writing to. And our Lord's speaking, he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see, as many as I love I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And so there's a, a, a number of truths that we can pick up out of this passage of Scripture. Obviously, our, our Lord speaking to His church. We need to understand it very clearly. These saints are still His children. They're in His kingdom. They, he's, a, he's speaking to His children. He's not speaking to unbelievers here. And so, when our Lord speaks to them, He is not disowning them. He's, he's saying, guys, you're borderline. Because he does threaten them. Uh, he says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, we're in the body of Christ. Now, it's a graphic illustration our Lord uses, but it's, it's a very sound one. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That means that that individual, those individuals, will be removed from the body of Christ. For when vomit comes out of a person's mouth, that comes out of their body and it's out the body, no longer in the body. And so that is really what our Lord is saying. He says, you guys are, are that close. You're borderline. Um, you're still my children. And at the end of it, in verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And so our Lord is he's loving these uh, saints. 
and he, he wants them to repent because he doesn't want to have to take that step of removing them from the body of Christ. But he said he will if they choose not to repent. But look at the situation they're in. Okay, they're his saints. They, they're, they're born again. They're saved. If they were to die there and then that night um, and they hadn't repented, but and our Lord had not yet vomited them out of his mouth, they would have been absent from the body to be present with the Lord. They would have been in heaven. They would have been saved. In that condition, they would have been saved. All right? Now, look at it from the, the natural. Look at their condition in the natural. Our Lord uh, tells us what their condition was. For he says, um, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And so it kind of ties in with that parable that we had a look at with the soul. We actually didn't look at it, but I kind of alluded to that parable. Um, they had got caught up in the affairs of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. And so they, the church at Laodicea had gone that route. And as a result, they had become a wealthy church. Um, they were rich and they were wealthy and they had need of nothing. And so, you know, they had followed after the things of this life, materiality. They were a very material church. Um, and, you know, material wealth meant a lot to them. If you were prospering in the kingdom, then we should be seeing you driving the latest uh, top model vehicle. And you get churches like that. Um, you know, I've been to a few where you go into the car park and, you know, if you, you're not driving the top of the range of whatever vehicle, you, you feel ashamed parking your car in that car park because there's just, you know, there's some flashy cars there. Now, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Because believe me, I, I preach that the Lord does want His church to prosper. That's a given. I, I, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, people that preach against the prosperity message, and they really come down on it. But that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is that the Lord had, He became poor that we might become rich. And so the Lord does want His children to prosper and to have a full supply. But He does not want His church to become covetous. And that's really where the church at Laodicea had gone to. They had started to become covetous because material wealth started to become the end goal. And, you know, eternity didn't really mean too much to them anymore. And so that's where they were in this life. So if you went into their car park on a Sunday morning, you would have seen some really flashy cars out there. Okay. Um, so that's what it looked like in this life. And our Lord said, this is the truth. I mean, he called them. He says, because you say I'm rich and become wealthy and you need of nothing. Our Lord didn't dispute that. Yeah, they were rich. They were wealthy. They didn't need anything. Yeah, this was a very wealthy church. But look at the, what the um, position looked like in heaven at that moment. This is what the inheritance looked like. And our Lord tells it like it is. He says, guys, now I'm, I'm opening up the bell for you. I'm letting you have a look what heaven looks like for you and he says and you do not know verse 17 and you do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked and so that was their spiritual condition and that is what they had to look forward to on their day of judgment when they stood before the Lord um, nothing he said, you guys are actually poor. You, 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 you're naked, you're miserable, you're wretched. There's nothing in store for you in heaven. 
You've got all this material wealth that you have down here on the earth, but in heaven there's nothing up there because you guys have got caught up in this stuff and you have not produced any fruit for the kingdom of God. And so you know, it, it, our Lord just put it across to... He couldn't make it any plainer to us than, than the church at Laodicea. Um, and that's, you know, that's the reality of it. And so there's two things that would, two main categories kind of, that would prevent the saint from receiving any eternal inheritance. We're talking about a saint that when he stands before the Lord in that day, the Lord says, I'm sorry, there's nothing for you. You, know, you have no inheritance. You're my child, you're in the kingdom, but I, I cannot give you any inheritance because there's nothing. Um, we've looked <laughs> and you've, you've laid, you've stored up nothing. Because don't we, we're the ones who store up treasures in heaven. Uh, I, know it sounds, I thought the Lord does it. No, we, what we do is we do the this, this stuff on the earth that uh, accrues to our eternal reward in heaven. And so these saints did, uh, did nothing. And so the, the two categories really we had to look at. The Christian who chooses to practice a lifestyle of sin, in whichever area they choose to practice that lifestyle of sin, they never get that sin under control. That will prevent them from receiving an eternal inheritance on that day. And then we get the, the, the bunch of Christians that get caught up in the affairs of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, um, and become so materialistic in this life that they lose out on eternity. And for one morsel of food, they are, you know, are prepared to give up their eternal inheritance, and they have nothing. The church at Laodicea had nothing. I mean, you know, our Lord pretty, pretty Plainly, he said, you guys are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They didn't even have their, their, their robes uh, available to them because they had done nothing. And so that's really um, such a stark warning to us from our Lord Jesus. Um, and a, a stark description to us of believers who choose not to cherish uh, eternal rewards, not to be rich toward God so that they can store up uh, eternal rewards. And I'm going to close off this section of teaching with uh, relating to you um, a dream that the Lord gave me a, a, a number of years ago now. Um, those of you who know my story, I, um, I won't go too far back, but I, I got into a very backslidden state. I, I became very materialistic. I became um, successful financially. And, but that became my lifestyle, kind of. And uh, I was pretty backslidden. And so people had to pray me back into, uh, not into the kingdom, but back into fellowship with the Lord. My wife being one of them, and uh, other believers also praying. And uh, God is good, and uh, He had mercy on me. And uh, through a number of in, uh, interventions that the Lord kind of, brought across in my life, I managed to get back into fellowship with him. And it wasn't too long after I had been restored to fellowship with my Lord that um, this particular dream was given to me. Um, and so in, in this dream, what transpired was I was in a long queue and we were in a queue winding up going to the uh, judgment throne of our Lord Jesus. We were each one going to stand before the Lord uh, for our judgment. And I was standing between two individuals, one on my right and one on my left. And the one on my right made the comment and he said, 
well, at least we know we're saved. And then he, he disappeared out of my dream. And I just instinctively knew that he had no reward in store for him when he stood before the Lord. And then the next thing that happened was that um, the individual on my left was now standing before the Lord Jesus and he was being judged by the Lord. I was standing between, so I was standing here and the, the, this individual was standing on my left and the Lord was standing on my right and I was you know, facing them. They were facing each other and I was on, on the side by and large. Now I never really looked, I, I didn't look at the Lord, I just knew that, that he was standing there and he was speaking to this individual. And he was um, making comments to, to the individual and the kind of comments that would come across you know, I spoke to you on this particular day to speak to so-and-so and you chose to disobey me. And this is the reward that the Father has given me to give to you, which I cannot give to you because you were disobedient to me. And, you know, there were about five or six incidents of this happening. Now, the rewards were, you know, really um, astounding in beauty, I, you know, difficult to describe. I do recall seeing a crown there of, of extraordinary beauty. Anyway, so I'm getting more and more concerned for this individual that's standing on my left because every time our Lord mentions something, the Lord shows him what he could have been given, but he can't give it to him because this individual had been disobedient. And by the time the Lord gets to the fifth or the sixth uh, incident, I can't take it anymore. I, I just burst out into tears for remorse for this individual because I've just seen all of this, um, these rewards just being forfeited because of his disobedience. And when that happened, I realized that the Lord was actually dealing with me. And uh, it wasn't the individual, it was actually myself. And I repented before the Lord. And I, you know, I, I was remorseful, Lord, I haven't been obedient to you. I've not done what you've called me to do. I haven't been obedient in what you've told me to do. And I repented before the Lord. And then in my dream, I was started to come back down uh, from this, like it was like a, a hill, I suppose, coming down, still crying, but now my tears were tears of joy because I realized that it wasn't yet my time to stand before the Lord on my day of judgment. And what the Lord had done was he had been gracious to me in that he had allowed me opportunity to go back and to do that which he had called me to do. And so um, that is where the tears of joy came in. But the point was made to me very clearly that I could have been that individual that day standing before the Lord and the Lord saying, Mike, there's no reward for you um, because of the path that I was on. But the Lord was gracious to me and He had allowed me to turn back and to repent and to get a second bite of the apple for one, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, a, an earthly term, but it does kind of put it across. But now the point was for me that obviously our Lord was dealing with me in that dream, but the point remains for all of us that, you know, we all need to be uh, vigilant with regards to our eternal rewards and not to take them lightly and not to... Uh, lightly esteemed them, like Esau, uh, you know, lightly esteemed his inheritance for a bowl of beans. And we're not to go down that road. It is a very sad road to go down. We don't realize it while we're on this path in this life. 
we think everything we look we think we 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 begin to think like the church at Laodicea I'm rich I'm wealthy I have need of nothing but we don't realize that in the big scheme of things for as far as eternity is concerned we're actually flat broke we're miserable we're poor we're blind we're naked and we don't want to be there we really do not want to be there and so I trust that as you go through these uh, uh, four, four series of teachings in this particular uh, section that we've dealt with, unforgiven sin, uh, not being judged, um, will be judged on that day. That uh, you go through it and you, you know, look at it with, with uh, the seriousness that you need to, and you reassess your life and uh, start focusing on eternity. I mean, this life is such a short space of time compared to eternity. And the Holy Spirit, you know, said, for a morsel of food, you're prepared to give up your inheritance? Eternal? Don't do it. It's not worth it. it it's definitely not worth it. And so I encourage each one um, to, you know, really focus on the eternal inheritance. Don't allow a practice lifestyle of sin to rob you of your eternal inheritance. Do not allow uh, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, rob you of your eternal inheritance. Uh, rather stay true to the Lord and obedient to Him and so that you may receive your full reward on that day. And we're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.